two, one, and we're live with Nick Brunson in Perth, <laughs> Perth, Perth Base Architect. So we were just about to start planning what we're going to call this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any ideas, Nick? No, yours was terrible though. I was going to call it the Architect. So if, so you might be seeing this on iTunes right now as the Architects, or it could be. What could it be, Nick? It's not, that's not my decision to make, mate. That's you. I want to ask you a question. So this is like, in, yeah. in, well, not Instagram, Vanity Projects and Instagram for Architects, yeah. right? Yeah. I reckon you're, yeah. you're probably speaking to more architects in Australia about yeah. their business and getting yeah. to understand it, you know, their business and their kind of little pain points intimately. Mm. What, like, what are you finding? Like, what's going on in, in the industry? Like, what's, firstly, what's mm. the noise but, you know, like a lot of people complain about things that mm. aren't actually the problem. What, what do you hear is the noise and yeah. what do you actually reckon is going on? The sense that I get, there's not a lot of energy. That's the feeling I get. Things are very low energy. I think one thing that's changed recently for me is I've noticed that a lot of architects are kind of giving up on things before they've started. And there's this weird sense that they've been hanging on to some things like house and Instagram for like years. Nothing good has ever come from it. They think they're just not doing it well enough. Yeah. But at the same time, they're not trying any anything else. So, there's a there, there, the reason I say there's a sort of tiredness is that I don't see many people who are going, I'm going to try this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing. Regardless of whether it's about marketing, but even just about being different in weird ways. There's this total tightening to the center where everyone's just looking the same as each other and being like incredibly conformist. Yeah. Yeah, so well, I, I think it's... No, no, I, th- I completely agree. I just think that it's it's because we're kind of... We see ourselves as a construction industry and we're basically downstream from that. Um, you know, the construction industry is a really, really, you know, like old or stuck, you know, kind of... It's it's not you know it's quite a it's yeah, yeah. you know it, it's not it's not ripe for change or there's no actual need or you know push you know there's no economic imperative you just keep doing it as you've been doing it because that's how you make your yeah. that's that's how the financial model works. What's that? Don't know. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. Okay. okay, did you click on dramatic piano? Yeah. <laughs> or or one of those. Or one of those. There's oh. music coming through. <laughs> Hang on, let me just get rid of that. Have you have you tracked that down? Is that in is that in Zencaster? I think that might have been on my computer. Oh, nice one. Because <laughs> I, think I'm, I think we've got the Spotify linked up, and someone's just done that. <laughs> let me try and get rid of that. Okay, I'm sorry if that was this me. One, I'm definitely, really sorry. No, that's all right. that's all right. I mean, it's I'm I'm, I'm definitely not going to edit this thing. It's happening again. <laughs> How do I get rid of that? Let me just close it. Well, that just uh, made you look like amateur, complete amateur. I'm sorry. I watched, dude, I, that's okay, man. I, that's okay. I watched a lecture today with a guy uh, who called Adam Ferrier, who's like a consumer psychologist. He was doing a webinar. And he was talking about these experiments where they found that if you have a really competent person that, that comes across as really competent mm. and then they make a mistake or they show their failures or their errors, people will actually measure their confidence their competence up afterwards. Yep. And that 
so for example, a real expert, they spill coffee on themselves. They come back 10 minutes later. You ask them to go, okay, how much, how, what, how competent do you think that person is? They go, yeah, 10, 15% more competent. Yeah. And it's this like, what he was pushing for is this idea that as brands and companies, you show your failures and you show your weaknesses and that kind of well, reveal the cracks it's, in the whole it's, thing. It's human and it's relatable like that. Just, you know, like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's the same exactly. way that, you know, like self-deprecating humor seems to, you know, work so well. It's just kind of like a... It's a way of building bridges and connecting. You know, if you're too pristine or removed, then, you know, no one ever feels any connection to you. So, you know, yeah, it makes perfect sense. And the reason I kind of thought about that was I also think that that's characteristic of what that thing about architects all conforming around the center. I don't think they're showing any cracks or any vulnerability. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I remember when you, when, you did the, when you did your talking series, sort of pride and vulnerability as that, as that theme. Yeah. I actually think we need to bring that back. And do more of that kind of thing. Um, I don't know whether you think that's a, 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 a something that you see lacking, but I see that vulnerability as being the thing that's being talked about in closed rooms, but it's not public. It's not public. Well, we're not publicly well, vulnerable, and we're not publicly fucking anything up. Well, it's you know, it's that's not a professional thing. That's just a psychological thing. Is that you know, vulnerability. The same. We're talking about that kind of you know, the spilling shit on yourself. It's you know, it's the best way to empathetically build bridges and to connect with people. Um, and, you know, and I just thought it's also just the best way to kind of actually have real honest conversations as a profession. Um, and, you know, without being too over the top during that talk series, a lot of people came up and said that it was the best you know thing that had happened in a long time. And the point was yeah. to try and take away all the kind of the veneer and the bullshit of, you know, like here are my pretty projects, you know, here are all the great images, you know, you know, and then there's always, it's never really said, but it's always implicit of kind of, you know, that things are easy or, you know, or that I don't, to, to me, there's actually, no, it's maybe not even that. To me, it's just that there's kind of not really many learnings to be had when projects go well, but the best way yeah. that we all actually kind of, you know, can build knowledge and, you know, grow as a profession is actually by sharing the failures because that's, yes. that's where the learnings, you know, that's where you kind of, it's by knowing what doesn't work that you can get to what does work, you know. And and normally, you know, the people, the things that go well, it's it's some fluke of circumstance, or you know, you kind of got a good client, so or whatever it becomes, you know. That actually, it's mm. as you said, you know, kind of getting in terms of what you know the profession could be. It's actually by trying to place yourself close to the edges, you know, that that's actually it's riskier territory, but it's also more fertile territory. Like that's actually where yeah. all the all the growth could actually happen is by exploring these little niche pockets um and you know yeah, it's by, by yeah. putting yourself there you're not stuck there you just you know you're trying something out and then you kind of go all right well that worked and we'll keep going that way or we'll pivot and go this way or whatever um yeah i think that that tries to carry on from what i was trying to i was saying before before um yeah, about the builders before, being before, like before they're the, set in their ways and yeah before the musical before um because <laughs> yeah that you know like because we're so inherently tied to the building industry um, it's very hard to kind of to see to to innovate in a, the procurement of a project because it's kind of expected it has to come through to the end point a certain way. But I don't know. I just think that within the business business structures within within our operational areas, there's just so much space to kind of to locate ourselves and grow and offer services. And I remember someone saying the other day that you know we've got to stop. Well, you know that we can. We've been calling ourselves, you know, problem solvers for a while. You know, to try and broaden whatever architects, uh, you know, scope of services or how we re 
translate that to the public, but it's actually, you know, a better way of thinking about it is opportunity creators so that, you know, what we do well is just finding those little niches and kind of saying, well, you know, here's, here's somewhere where, you know, there's actually a chance for something positive in terms of, in any sense, whether it's, you know, an efficiency mm. of the build or, um, you know, some kind of uptick in public amenity or just, you know, joy to space or even just, you know, building in extra revenue models for your client. Um, that that's, that's, to me, that's the future of, of where we're going is, you know, in that kind of, you know, as much as, you know, architecture in its essence is a physical manifestation, you know, that that's what happens, that's what architecture is. It's as much, you know, all that other stuff, which mm. is, you know, the creation of mm. systems and structures and things. I like something that you said there about taking away that sort of outside facade of everything. Everything's going really good. Like we don't talk about the bad things. I'm not even just thinking practicality of for every good thing, like it's completely inefficient to be an architecture firm and to talk about your successful projects because quite frankly, they've got a shelf life of about two weeks before stop anyone cares, like before people stop caring about them. You've basically got like a 14-day window in terms of not just obviously not your clients and, and other architects, but to the public, you've really got a, a, a very tight news cycle of work really? where I it I, falls off. Oh, no, I disagree completely on that. I think that you see projects pop up, you know, years later where people have like rediscovered them or go, oh, that's still cool. You know, if something has hit and been saturated, then you go, yeah, I know that, I know that. But if, you know, I think that, yeah, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's as kind of, you know, as impermanent as that i think it's much you know a, a good project sticks yeah if it's a real runaway project then i guess it i guess it depends i mean i'm looking from the perspective of actually looking at what what happens on a lot of architects websites for example yeah. where y- you look at the trends over a few year period and you've just got these basically big spikes of interest but then there's these I'm talking about small firms have this really long periods of practically inactivity yep. where they don't have anything to talk about um, because they don't have their final outcomes. The outcome happened four months ago. They're working on yep. a new outcome that's going to happen in two more months or three more months. Yep. And you've got this like whack-a-mole effect of the industry where little people pop up for a certain amount of time, they go away and then other ones come up. And it's a little bit show business. It's a little bit Hollywood. Um, but what happens in that period in between projects where there's just these strings of challenges and strings of failures and things being made and then stopping and then uh, uh, there's uh, there's a sense that I would like I would like to see things go a little bit more towards that because that could be the stuff that could potentially be a lot more interesting and, and I think it's kind go, of like the grand what? designs factor everything that ha- that happens between projects okay right gotcha yeah <laughs> like you've got these you've got these moments of yeah project finished great photos taken up it goes great and a lot of the strategies that we're doing for our, for for my clients is basically going how can we take your pictures or your work and then try and get more shelf life on it by basically dripping it out over a long period of time but i think that the direction we're eventually going to go is that culturally we're going to have more of the grand designs factor where we go, oh, there's actually a huge amount of public interest in architects struggling along. <laughs> Everyone knows their job is really, really difficult. That's one thing I found that when I talk to just random people, they go, oh, man, every, every single person I know in architecture talks about what a bloody hard job it is. And no one actually under, no one really understands that. Yeah, well, and- that's kind of why we, you know, 
we, well, I think it's also by necessity because we hardly get any built projects is why, you know, our, our Instagram yeah. is actually more about that kind of, you know, behind the curtain stuff. You know, we're, we're always trying to show office life, we also studio culture um, and, you know, process and, you know, just the kind of the, the all the bits that don't make it in, you know, all the or, or all the stepping stones that actually get to the end. Because I think, you know, there's firstly, you know, it displays value to your clients. Secondly, it's actually really interesting to kind of see as well. I, I, I think mm. so. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And I think it's just kind of, again, just sort of, you know, well, here's if, if to me, Instagram is that, you know, and I think it's been a good tool for us in, in not so much. I don't even know if it's generated any project leads, but it's just a great mm. kind of, um, uh, you know, way of expressing ourselves or helping, you know, through kind of, you know, uh, a curated set of images kind of saying, well, here's kind of what we're about. So someone could just log in, see the tiles and go, okay, you know, that's, I get a, I get a sense of those guys. And it's actually even taken place of our website. You know, we sort of direct people there before you know, yeah, our website. Because it's more, because yeah. that's what, that's what, that's what it is. It's more current, you know, it's, it's, yeah. you know, it's short of actually putting a live camera up in our office. You know, that's like as close as you're going to get. Yeah, basically. I was kind of wondering about that with websites. Um, I mean, who who really needs a portfolio anymore? Your Instagram is out there really doing that that work. And I wonder whether the actual purpose of your website actually just really needs to become more like a Wikipedia article about what post is, history, genesis, um, controversies. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Yeah. You, yeah, you know, you've really got to a level in society where there's a Wikipedia section on your controversies, and I think that I, I, I sort of think that that might be potentially the thing that happens there because I feel like the only thing that brings anybody to your website is that they see photos of your work somewhere, and they're the things that are out there in the world. They're like your your fishing lures, just shiny, fancy things that have a hook in them, and you're throwing them out there, and they're bringing people back to you. Yeah. But then one thing I'm finding is that behind that once you've successfully done that impress someone with your work all that waits at the end of it is just more photos of work yeah i've really become strongly anti-photography lately yeah well, um, we, we hardly get anything crutch <laughs> oh well, that's we've just tried to completely defocus from photos of the finished building to actually documentation of the process leading up to the building you know that's to me that's where the interest lies and that's where i think as a client you probably get more value out of that because you can if you're a pr- prospective client you can look and you go oh, right, that's the process I'm going to be taken through or that's what I expect or, you know, that's kind of, you know, there's actually kind of more of a sense of buy-in or an understanding of, you know, the process of architecture or, you know, the yeah. the, the, the work required. Um, and to me, that yeah. then adds value because, you know, it's not just something that you get a brief and you plug it into a computer and a building pops out. You know, it's actually this, you know, long, deliberative, iterative slog. Yeah. When I when when you talk about that, I think about something um Zizek was talking about where he's like you've got Marilyn Monroe and you've got uh I don't know I don't know who it was, but it was basically a brunette kind of Marilyn Monroe and she had like a a, a love spot or whatever above her lip and the population got yeah. asked which one do you prefer this this perfect beautiful blonde or this other perfect brunette lady who has a little imperfection and the public overwhelmingly vote, voted for the the woman with the imperfection because it just it's that thing that anchors it in reality and practicality and I sort of mm-hmm. think that with with the process work it, it has this fantasy element because there's still little wobbly bits hanging on it and it's just full of this 
aura of potential around it of it's the complete pristine thing, but it has a subtraction of that last element of structure <laughs> well no that but that's, make it- that's what that's what we've talked about the um the idea of you know like physical models and you know sketches and non-photoreal renders is that you know if you provide a client with a photoreal render like where's there to actually go from there like that's it yeah that's yeah. The, that's that's you know that's as good as that building's ever going to get yeah exactly you can only work backwards in yeah. terms of building the thing. it's only going to get worse once it gets built yeah i feel like there's a general cultural change that's gone a little bit kind of wabi-sabi like we like ugly broken wobbly things and i don't know whether architecture is right for that i reckon the stuff that the stuff that's being shared on instagram um and in other places as well that kind of half finished little versions of the building little models and shapes and and drawings and sketches is just it represents a kind of architecture that i don't I don't think society actually likes the finished product as much anymore. Yeah. Because true. we are still quite we're still quite pristine and we're still quite elegant. And those things have that sort of come in and out of popularity over time, but I think we're in a time right now where people actually they like a broken pot. I don't know, I reckon it's maybe even and, I reckon like it's that's I reckon it's maybe even there's I think there's two things here. There's the kind of the wabi sabi imperfect, but also the 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 promise of the future. Like that, there's this. I think you were used the word fantasy before. That we found in mm. Space Market that all of our projects are never cooler or never better than two weeks before they open. Then they open, <laughs> and everyone turns up and goes, "Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, I get it. I understand exactly what this is about." But you know, like the, that, like that, that moment when it's like on the way there, where people can like almost impose or you know um, superimpose, sorry, their own their set of what they, you know, almost like their own hopes and dreams yep. on it. Okay, well, this is yep, what I, yep, yep. I, I, you know, because it's close enough to them to think that it's going to be a thing. So, they go, oh, well, it'll definitely be this. But there's that personal bias that comes in yeah. so that, you know, it then becomes this great vessel that can kind of hold each person's individual personal bias. But then the real thing gets finished and you work in, walk in and people go, oh, this isn't what I thought. But, yeah, I don't know what that actually means. Yeah. Maybe that's and maybe I, that's, part of that pro- I, that's part of that sharing of process or, you know, the vulnerability or, you know, like kind of, showing all the lead up is that, you know, people can actually look in and go, oh, you know, if this is my project or if I was a part of this, this is how I see it going when, you know, that might not be yeah. the case. Can you tell me about many 2.0? Because I haven't seen any, I haven't seen any pictures or I haven't really read much about it. What's going on down down there? Is it, is it how's it going compared to the old many project? Um, yeah, really well. Like, so, we've, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah for I guess those not aware, we've got we've been running the many building, which <laughs> is for the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> which I think is the cockroach on the wall over there. For anyone, for, for anyone, for anyone who's listening, um, yeah, no. So we 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 took over an old department store. There was a Maya building in the middle of Fremantle. It was twenty thousand square meters um, floor space. And we turned it into a retail production artist studios, event space and gallery and um, that the owners took that back just the last couple of months so then we had to try and find a place to house everyone and we couldn't find 20,000 square meters of building so we ended up decanting everyone out across Perth. So Mini 2.0 is the retail aspect and that's in an old Coles department building. Um, it's about 900 square meters and, yeah, it's really good. Like it's just, I don't know, I think my seen some of the photos is like a gallery in the middle and then there's the retail parts on the other side of yeah. it. 
And just really simple, you know, architectural techniques. We just used a 1500 high wall, painted a 1500 datum the whole way around, painted everything black. And so that there's kind of this little almost meerkatting, you know, heads bobbing up above, above that line. And then all the like, um, you know, all the, all the merchandise then kind of like pops out against that backdrop. And then the, the gallery, it, it flips. So the gallery is underneath that 1500 line. It's all natural and just the timbers and exposed, whatever. And then above that's the, it's the black just so it kind of, you know, reads as something different, but it's going well. And then we got the, um, we got all the work. The makers are in a warehouse in North Rio. All our artists and creative studios are in an old police building just behind the existing building and we took another warehouse in East Perth and we've got a couple of things in the works for Central Perth, one that's quite big and very exciting that we hope would be able to pull off, but we'll see. Are things getting more vacant or it, it like, like from where I left like a, six months to a year ago, um, things were pretty vacant in the city at least, but I guess, I mean, that's always been a thing. But have you been seeing anything about that becoming like an increasing problem with Perth's property market situation going on? I think we're at like one of the worst times ever for Perth property. But again, I kind of like, everyone talks about it, but I actually just don't care. Like it's, you know, like tough shit basically. Like, you know, it's 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 basically Perth's Perth's growing growing pains of moving from a monoculture to an actual grown-up city, you know, where we've got, um, you know, just basically, you know, a a place and a space for, you know, all sorts of industries, you know, service, tourism, tech, you know, knowledge, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, yeah, that's that's just basically the kind of, it's it's a real, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a realignment or an adjustment, and then you know, then in terms of vacancy, that you know, that's just what it is. There's, there's always challenges, and I just had a meeting today with um, a per city councillor about what we can do to potentially tackle that. And she was actually saying it was really interesting talking about you know, is this something that is actually a problem in times of high vacancy, or you know, what happens in peak periods? And I was saying, I think we've talked about this before. That I think it's just as acute a problem yeah. when cities are bursting at the seams as, as it is when it's they're vacant because, um, you know, in those peak periods you've got either more people coming to the city or more businesses relocating to, you know, urban dense areas or you've got people that are like moving from C to B class space or B to A class space. So you're kind of getting this consolidation or, you know, like new builds that have, have been, you know, commissioned to to take up that that demand which then means that you still get this churn of, you know, these kind of B-class, C-class, D-class spaces that have now, you know, kind of been thrown on the scrap heap a bit or that aren't seen as valuable yeah. or that people just don't know how to use anymore that sort of need need occupation or need, um, you know, need kind of a bit of creative thought or or just need to be repositioned or, you know, find, found, they just need to find their new home. So for me, it's like it's a problem that's, that works on both sides. Yeah. As in, I, I was, works doesn't work on both sides. Yeah, it's like whichever way it's heading, you're going to have um you're going to have these spaces that are full of kind of opportunity. And it doesn't yeah. it always seems like there's plenty of people, like there's no shortage of people that just want to make stuff and sell stuff. Like that's yeah. not going away ever. No, <laughs> like, and I think I think really- I think even now I think we're just, you know, there's sort of this uh I almost use the word zeitgeist, but kind of general uh, you know, <laughs> feeling that I, I just think that you know we've had this kind of the trust in corporations is is gone or going. I think we're kind of falling over the back of capitalism, and that you know that sort of there isn't mm. safety in in you know big 
entities anymore. So everyone is kind of um, retreating to, you know, whether it's, you know, freelance economy, gig economy, or just the self, you know, sort of trust in self. And it's just, you know, you have to be in charge of your own, you know, destiny and output and economic um, stability. And, and that, you know, now just with kind of this proliferation of all these, you know, like tools that help, you know, it's actually never been easier to kind of do your own thing. Um, mm. Yeah, I've definitely found that that I feel like I feel like I get the work of like six people done just using um just using different tools and then combining that with having somebody who works for me um who isn't in Australia. When you combine that sort of automation delegation thing in a way that I don't think people were doing 10 years ago. It really two years ago, know, five years ago, two years ago, <coughs> five years ago. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. really feels like now is a weird time to be getting a, a, a just an absolute shitload of work done when you're just basically on your own. Yeah, um, that, it's it's just a super weird thing, but there's still something about people just physically making stuff that I don't know. It doesn't feel like an Australian thing. I mean, I look at people all over the world, like on Instagram, people that make knives out of like meteor stone and just all these weird <laughs> niches that have popped up yeah. where people have like got, you know, 5 million followers because they're making something and then all of a sudden they're building a massive, massive business out of it. Well, um, it makes sense because, you know, like if that was 20 years ago or 40 years ago, you know, how, how are you ever going to reach scale or how are you ever going to actually be able to indulge that, you know, that you can't. You'll never be able to find a market, you know, like how are you going to, how's someone in, you know, if you're making that in, you know, Arizona, you know, how's someone in Stockholm going to un- find you or understand that? But, you know, today, yeah. today it's just, you know, hashtag, hashtag meteor knife. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you, you've been, you've been working on, um, you've been working on some stuff in Europe. Is that, is that still stuff still like ongoing? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, we're doing a, a little eco hotel. Well, not little. It's, um, yeah, it's quite, yeah. Quite, yeah. Quite, <laughs> quite, quite big, but it's, yeah, it's awesome. Um, in, yeah, in just outside of Lisbon in Portugal. Do you feel that, um, cause my, my kind of experience when I worked for Tezuka was this idea that like, We've got a project in the Philippines, we've got a project in New Zealand, one in Australia, one in America. And it's really interesting to have like a, a small office that works with people all over the world to deliver work. Um, yeah, it's super fun. I, I think that's so, that's so rare, man, to be, to be creating something in another country as an Australian architect. Well, we've just picked up, it looks like a, a fair few, well, a job, a, a largest job in Bali. I'm off to Bali on Saturday morning for Saturday night and then back on Sunday. Um, oh, my. And, and but it's it's like actually because we've now like reimagined our office as post and what we are and what we do and we've kind of got three buckets now in how we see ourselves and kind of Portugal's really informed this and we've sort of changed our shape a bit in the last couple of weeks or month, month or so. Mm. So, we've now got this kind of, the three buckets are we've got like relationships, which is sort of, I can't quite, I don't know if relationships is the right word, but it's kind of the outward looking side, which is, you know, who's around, I was in firstly, who are our clients, how do we service them well, how do we make, how do we keep them happy, what do they want, how do we service their needs, and then sort of identification of, you know, potential new leads or new people to go speak to, mm. Um, mm. and sort of the conversion and just, you know, general kind of contact there and then relationships also internally mm. so how does the office work you know how do we 
get money, keep paid, keep ourselves happy, you know, deal with culture and hours and all that sort of stuff. So that's the relationships bucket. Then we've got the design bucket, which is, you know, just basically that's the pure, you know, design fun of things, you know, that once mm-hmm. we've secured briefs and, um, you know, have the clients and have all that on board, you know, there's just the core team of us that just sit and nerd out on design. And then yeah. then we've got the execution bucket which is kind of you know once those designs are confirmed or you know they're approved and ready to go then how do we you know make sure that that gets executed or you know an executive team you know how does it make get to site and get built so what we've learned is that you know we don't actually always have to hold the execution bucket so that's why we can work in portugal and we can work in bali you know it's the same to tezuka or whoever else but just to me kind of by by demarcating it, it made a lot of sense to kind of go, well, no, mm. we do need to hold, if we are going to work that way, we need to be the lead, you know, in terms of the design work and we take it up to a certain point. And then there's kind of like this baton passing, but a contact still being kept and, you know, a relationship yeah. still being kept warm. But, you know, that understanding that, you know, that that we don't hold all those skills and you can actually outsource or at least let that sort of, you know, find that elsewhere. Anyway, that's so you're are you working with some other you may be working with some other architects in Bali well no there'll be the same same relationship we have in Portugal where we've yep. we've done the you know the design and taken it to a planning permit stage but then yep. once we've re- once we've got that we're going to be then working in partnership with a local practice who will yeah. you know yeah. help us navigate you know find progress the drawings find contractors manage the site build you know with us yeah, so we've been running this mm. to, with the client. Who the client's based in London, and we've been running this from here in Perth through Slack, Dropbox, Skype, <laughs> Zoom. Um, you know, and it's been pretty much you know hiccup free. Like it's been constant contact. And apart from the hours, you know, we've been we've serviced them. I'd say you know just well, we've serviced them better than any of our other clients. And they're you know they're in London. Which they're in London. To me, just says you know that geography isn't a barrier. You know, you can do it anywhere. Dude, that's so cool, man. That's really, really awesome. It, it's, it's that's actually taking advantage of what technology can do. I guess like the challenge for anybody is like, how do you? I mean, how do you get that that <laughs> that client in London and, and those sorts of things? <laughs> no, which well, is that, obviously that, that the question of, everyone's thinking. But that part of it's, it's dumb good luck. to know that yeah. you can. Yeah, yeah. That, it's good to know that you can yeah. because then like. I think a lot of people would be set back and go like, oh, I'm just not even going to, I'm not even going to try. Like we are, in, we are mostly invisible to the other like 98% of the world, 99, you know, like, and that's, yeah, it's good to know that you can actually do that without having to like fly your whole team over to Bali and stay there for like five months, which weirdly Tezuka's office did like if, that. Really? Like if they, yeah, if they had a project like there was this, there was this Okinawa team who are a group of like five staff from the office who had to st- who yeah. they set up a like remote office in a shipping container in Okinawa which was like 43 degrees in summer they had to spend like five months in this shipping <coughs> container and they came back and they were like we all quit our jobs like that every <laughs> single one of them like every single one of them quit Tezuka's like yeah. a month after they got yeah, back cool. well maybe <laughs> and, uh, that was because it's because maybe I guess it was it's de- just that maybe Japanese it was depress- thing of, like, depressing being back and they preferred to be in the shipping container yeah, maybe they prefer to be in a tropical paradise with a bunch of American sailors. Yeah. But it's kind of like, it, I don't know, it's kind of cool because I think you probably could just do it with Slack. And that last bit at the end where you pass the baton, yeah, yeah of course. I mean, obviously, it's better if you're kind of there doing it or whatever. But if you feel cool just kind of handing that off to a trustworthy local architect, 
I think that's that could be the thing where did you wonder like are we losing some aspect of control over how things go here or is it just like look these are no, good no, people no. This is, this where is, in this communication is what, this is to me the one glaring thing that I reckon stands out for this is that you've got to approach it with no ego as well as in you know like we want to do this because we've got a good relationship with the client and we think that we can understand them well to get this done but we also absolutely do not know or understand the intricacies or the you know those little um you know the important small stuff about working in these locations so it's never just like we just do the design then we give it to you and you have to deal with it it's actually like well no tell us what we need to know tell us the stuff that we're going to miss um tell us how we can actually kind of bring local context into this and you know like like i i think we also like you know i insist on you know if we are going to do something overseas like yeah i actually have to go and see the site like i am um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I went over there just for, well, I think I went for seven days or something. And I also do a thing where um, I, I make sure I sleep on site. So we, I took a tent and went and camped, yeah. camped out on the site for, um, for one night, which, oh, what did I do? I forgot a sleeping bag. So, and it went to one degree overnight and I basically didn't sleep and thought I was going to lose my feet. But um, it was an experience. Um, but yeah, no, so like I try, I try it's, and get this. It taught you some yeah, shit though. Yeah, it did. Anyway, so I try, try to, you know, like keep the process the same, which is, you know, that trying to get like an understanding of the land, try to get this kind of weird psychic bonding thing going on, which is, you know, just kind of connect and feel and understand, but then just all the kind of the, the general science of it as well, you know, like what's the climate, what's, you know. What's the conditions? What can we build out of? Yeah. You know, what are the regulations? All that sort of stuff. So, yeah, for me, it's, it's yeah. always a collaboration. It's just it's good to kind of have clarity about who's doing what, but also, you know, being open and listening and, you know, because otherwise you end up with this kind of Zaha did, you know, globally ubiquitous style where it's like, you know, what what's a Zaha building ever show in way of, you know, of local responsiveness mm. like nothing it's just you know it's the same same mm. shit everywhere so yeah mm. so we, we we hope that it's kind of you know that the sensibility still rings true that we're not a firm or a practice that's known for a style and you're getting us for the style you're getting us for the process that you know we're yeah. Yeah. we're listeners we're empathetic and we sort of in pursuit and search of the right res- answer or you know the right response to a, a brief that's that's something that happens when you start working all over the world that kind of ubiquitousness or ubiquity mm, or whatever yeah. but it's also what happens when one of your buildings becomes a massive fucking hit and people start coming to you on the basis of give me one more of them please yeah yeah but then that, like, but then, that then that's then that's on the the architect to be strong enough or you know because for me the reason yeah. like I've, I've been keep getting pushed to kind of go like you know What's your what's your what's your speciality? You know, your residential, your commercial, blah blah blah. I'm like, well, no, I just I know the kind of life I want to design is not a life where I go to work and I'm bored with the sort of stuff I'm doing. Like, I want new things and new exciting. You know, like I want a variance of project types because then that's going to keep me interested in getting up in the morning. So for me, when that conversation happens, that first time with a czar or whoever else, you know, going, can you do one of them? And I don't know, maybe that's just Zaha's. So she's she's much more, you know, she's she's aesthetic more than anything else. But for me, that's yeah. about having that strength to kind of go, yeah, well, we'll look at it. It might not look like that, but we'll give you exactly the same sort of quality of outcome. And that's yeah. why, you know, like Herzog de Morona, they're, to me, they're the, the absolute, you know, pinnacle. Or, you know, like they, 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 they almost like reinvent themselves every project. Every project is a completely different approach, but there's always that 
absolute deep rigor you know in the outcome like you know how many birds nest stadiums could they have done if they wanted to or whatever else you know it's <laughs> how many birds nest stadiums <laughs> yeah i mean that, yeah I, do you have a big plan for after you've after you've finished um the project to do you have the freedom to kind of go on a big circuit like a promotional junket is that kind of on the cards for what do you mean um like, like, so, I mean, one thing that I really found when I was at Tezuka's was that, I mean, his his full-time job was, like, professional speech giver. It was just touring the world, yeah. giving this kind of, like, solid, prepared, greased up 50 minutes of, yeah. I've, I know where every punchline falls, I know every mm. laugh, everything's tight. Yeah. yeah. Um, is that... Is that something you see as like a worthwhile thing to develop, like develop an develop an act around your work, or this idea that you promote the work post? Because you talk about these three buckets, and it's this chronology of things where it goes, and we can substitute out ourselves at the third part, or perhaps any other particular part. But then, is there a fourth part where it's what is the bucket that exists after the execution? I'm I'm very interested in the post architecture, post execution bucket. No, well that's of, just right that's, now we have the content. What do we do with it? No, well that's just back to the first bucket. That's relationships, which is you know like now that we yeah right yeah. So it's like who do we want to speak to and how do we want to engage with them? So it's to me I yeah I don't really believe in the Tezuka model as much. You know, to me it's a yeah. it's a great ego trip and a big kind of you know like hero circuit of the globe, but. It's not. It's like a. Yeah. It's like a machine gun approach. Like, to me, I think you need to be a bit more cunning about you know going. Well, what sort of projects do I want, and therefore who should I go speak to? Um, you know, the, yeah. the, that's that's just kind of like yeah, a broad, kind of almost like a celebrity kind of understanding. But then you know you have yeah. the kind of the true artisans or the you know the craftsmen or the people that you know have a deep. And this isn't saying Tezuka's not great at his work because he is, but mm. you know you have the people mm. with the kind of a. I don't know. I just think that there's kind of this idea of this sort of like quietly working or, you know, this, yeah. you know, that you don't need to make a big splash, but you do need to make, you know, you don't need to make a broad splash, but you can make a big splash in a specific place. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I think Fujimori was like a equivalent of that, like a very, very kind of up there in, in Japan. You've got like, you've got like Fujimoto and a few of those other guys, but then there's just this one dude who basically like sits in his shed and carves these models out of big blocks of timber and basically just puts a book together once every 20 years and you get the feeling that he probably didn't even ask for that it just kind of happens to him like some people yeah. call him up and <clears throat> just grab his books off him and he, a book comes out and he barely finds out about it um yeah. there's there's that approach but like it's I, I find that's too far in the martyr direction the kind of you know like yes the, you know like <laughs> i'm the artist and i'm just going to sit here and you know be in the corner and if the world finds me you know great but if they don't fuck them you know like yeah i, you, I think you, you know be, they're not going to either. yeah like i think i think there's got to be a lot more sort of cunning and strategy around it which is you know like and that's why i talk about that kind of life design which is you know like or you know practice design you know who are we what do we want to do what sort of projects do we want you know and and after going through those kinds of questions you'd you don't. You end up with not that long a list, you know, and then you just yeah. go out and try and make it happen. The really weird thing <clears> is when you start going and trying to make it happen in Bali, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like <clears throat> where, like the continue. The next step is the thing that I think is really feels like really, really uncharted territory because it's just gone a little bit international. It's gone straight from Perth without even going on a national. 
You haven't, you haven't even, you've jumped national and just gone straight to, all right, well, our next step is we do work for clients overseas and who they're not even in the country where their building is. Their building is in other places. Um, how do you, I mean, that, that kind of came about, but how do you really continue on from that or, or is, it, is it a matter of like going to London and then starting this very word, word of mouth um, person to person thing, but being a person who's overseas more or is in other places? Uh, no, I reckon that that's like, yeah, if, if you want to potentially, but I, I also just think that there's like, you know, you look at someone like Zumthor who's operated his office, you know, completely out of any major centre for years and, you know, is one of the greatest architects alive. Um, that, that you don't need to have mm. this kind of locational um, in, in importance. Like you don't need to be around like, you know, that sort of stuff. And I think... I don't know. It's, yeah, it's a good question, but you're talking about, you know, it's just about hobnobbing and trying to develop those new things. Well, that's, you know, if I wanted projects in London, then that would be something I'd do, but I don't think I want projects in London. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Couldn't make um, you do... Couldn't, yeah, yeah, wouldn't be that interested in it. I mean... Well, I also just think I look at... I, I was reading about Big the other day, the, that article yeah, about yeah. Um, their, how they run their business. I thought this was really interesting that they said that they put as much effort into... The business and servicing side, you know, that um, as they do their design. So um, they brought in someone to run the operations who came from, I can't remember what her background was, something completely different. <clears throat> and they just said, look, you know, if we can't, we've just got to start working on showing how we are delivering cl- value to clients. And so they basically, as they kind of blew up and were doing, you know, all their whatever, you know, their big wacky, well, it's not that wacky, but, you know, their, their designs, they work just as hard mm. to build the back of house side of their business, which is, you know, having <clears throat> understanding the business, understanding client servicing, understanding how it works. And they said that they were doing going through this expansion and they started opening offices all around the world and then just went, hang on, what are we doing? You know, like we're kind of, we're destroying office culture. We're kind of extending ourselves financially and we can actually still deliver the same level of service through this model, which is kind of the design and execution separation model from just three mm. three centres and kind of just basically pulled back and said, you know, much better to have everything closer and in-house and a tighter, you know, smaller team than to be dispersed. Like I don't think – I think that that's just like it's a symptom of, of kind of the old world, which is, you know, like if you've got offices in more cities, then that means you're bigger or better when, you know, like <laughs> everyone's proving like, you know, you've got someone working for you based in Russia or wherever it is and, yeah. you know, like that – Kind of, I pay her in bitcoins. <laughs> bitcoins, Nick. <laughs> Welcome to the future, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's anyway. pretty good. And you know what the best part about paying her in bitcoins is? She goes, oh, over the last three months, because you know how bitcoins gone from like a thousand dollars to like four thousand yeah. dollars a bitcoin or whatever. Yeah. She goes, like, I haven't taken any of my money out, and I just made like four times my annual salary <laughs> by just leaving it in bitcoins. So don't you wish? Don't like, you wish yeah, that you, you probably kept that and paid her in whatever instead? Yeah, but I'm like, I'm like, dude, you should probably take that out. I don't want you to lose like four months of your salary or whatever. I'm a little bit nervous about that, but like, yeah, dude, yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's it's a it's an easy time. That's also something that I think, in terms of hiring. I'm always looking at the architecture business thing and going, well, like, what parts of your to-do list or your job could you get somebody in Russia doing? Because the because Bitcoin and the internet and technology is about to open up, like, 7 billion people 
on this planet mm. who could work for you yeah. in Perth. Yeah. And, and they go to university and they are phenomenally talented. And having it would be so efficient to be inclusive of people all over the world, remote working into your practice. And then you likewise being a remote worker for a client who lives in another country. Um, and just really internationalizing the whole thing, but still having this tight little core collective where you focus on the design service side of things. Is there anything that you do where where you have thought to yourself, well, maybe this is something that we could get happening externally? Yeah, already. Like we've um, we've just brought on someone just to do the full contract document side of things. Um, and, you know, that could very, like he's going to be doing that remotely. He's not going to be doing it here in the office. He's based in Perth. He's a friend of a friend. Oh, no, he's yeah. just a yeah. guy that we found. But yeah, yeah, like he's he's not doing he's doing that after hours or you know in his own time. Um, yeah, he's yeah you know, he's he's got another job and he's doing this as part of it, and we're just gonna feed him work and build the workload and see how it goes. But the point is that you know like it was that whole exactly that looking at the business and the efficiencies and going look is it actually best for us to have our design team doing the contract documents or you know the full construction set or is it actually best getting someone who's actually you know quicker and better. You know, it'll take, it'll do it in half the time mm. and do it twice as good. So that just leaves us to be more, you know, positioning ourselves more as the design leadership role, you know, which is like just trying to keep hold of yeah. the idea and make sure that that stays true the whole way through. So, yeah, yeah. you know, because I also find that just, you know, if you, when I, I had to do this as well, when you're sort of an architect and you're doing working drawings, unless you absolutely love it, it's hard to keep a hold of everything because it's a big time commitment. It takes a long, you know, a big slog to get through. And you kind of, mm. you know, you then lose, miss all these little possibilities of, you know, like of getting the right, you know, color or render or material or, you know, detail on a door or, you know, flashings and all, like all that sort of stuff that you just kind of like, oh, shit, I've just got to make sure that, you know, section AA lines up with this and I've got the engineering incorporated, blah, blah, blah. So, if someone else can think about that and your role is then just, you know, supervision or checking, then, you know, yeah. to me, that's, that's an efficiency win and a, an output win. Yeah, definitely, because I guess you can keep your gaze across more of the detail without... It's it's kind of weird because it's like a bit opposite of that whole Glenn Merkett school yeah, of old, old but, boys but this, who are like, this is what I draw about, every single Yeah, but this is what you're saying about and then that niche, makes, you know? Yeah. But that's people go to Glenn Merkett because of that. He, he's like the... He's yeah, the right. End. So, he's, he's, on he's, that, he's, he's in that... He's, he's, he's completely, you know, yeah. he's the sort of, as you said, if everyone's moving to the center of the business model, he's gone a different way. And it's working, yeah, he, you know, which is great. He's That's, in a real fertile fringe. Yeah, perfect. You know, as you said, like good on him. Yeah, well, you know, he doesn't he need, doesn't need more pats on the back. He doesn't he's need my props, it. doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I hope he's listening, Glenn. Glenn, if you're listening to this, mate, I'm proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> pats on the back <laughs> from two rat bags from Perth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's really that's cool because it. I don't know. I feel I feel like those. As long as you take a direction, you're doing the right thing. As long as you're aiming somewhere on the perimeter, let's say we're all in the center of the galaxy and we're just aiming yeah. for the edges, the interstellar space. As long yeah. as we're just pointing in that direction rather than pointing into the middle, we're always yeah. heading in the right direction. Well, I just think um, that every, everyone's... I think, yes, yes, that's a, that's a really good metaphor. I like it. That would be perfect. I just read your article when worlds collide on <laughs> the relationship between between cosmology, quantum physics, and architecture. Yeah, uh, so I think that that might have to come into your business content. Okay, great. You can navigate. Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> 
but that so that's kind of i don't know does that kind of feel like that works where i'm now wondering because when you start talking about stripping away things and you're stripping bits off and giving them off to other people and then you're supervising that yeah stuff, where does it come down to at the very core what is the skeleton at the without any of the fat or skin or muscle that's just the thing that is your 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 work and your actions um is there anything left on the side of production or is production all just things that we've done to justify people paying us? Well, it depends, well, it depends it, what you're talking about. Is it completely like, ephemeral? And- no, no. Well, like, you know, we have a package, you know, like our design package is we've, we've tried to now standardize that. So, every time we do a design, it's, you know, it's these things and we del- yeah. deliver these things. And before a client signs up, we show them examples and go, if you sign up, well, our service proposal is that we're going to deliver these things. Here's some examples of what these things look like and this is what we're going to mm. give you so that each project, at least we know where the out, you know, where we're getting to at the end so that I think what we've found or what we've been guilty of is kind of getting getting a project and kind of wandering over all the territory, which is absolutely great and fine. But if we actually kind of stake it and go, it's almost like a uni project. It's going like these are the things we want at the end of it. So you can go through all that but get to this at the end. So then it's kind of like understandable. And um, what we've actually just started as well, uh, which is really interesting, is um, offering like levels of service so that rather than just giving a service proposal that says we'll do a schematic design for you for X or, you know, we'll give you full service for, you know, Y percentage, we've actually said, you know, we'll do, you know, like a basic package or a plus package or, you know, like, uh, you know, a standard package. And these, this is included in the basic package. This is included plus this in the standard package. This is included plus this, plus this, plus this in the design plus package and with images and examples of what all those things are and what comes in and what comes out. Mm. So, it changes the conversation from being a, a yes, no to a and or so that you, you're giving the client options, which yeah. is yeah. to me, it's actually just stealing from the tech industry. Like, you know, when you sign up for any kind of monthly plan, it's yeah. like, you know, basic, yeah. you know, standard yeah. plus. I was going, well, you know, why wouldn't we be doing that in architecture? You're actually trying to, you're trying to meet people at their need, you know, or, you know, and give them where they need that level of service so that it, you know, it sort of, for me, it was a, yeah, a simple win. Yeah. And ideally, if you get to put the <coughs> things, I've always found that there's a disconnect with the things that we like doing and we think are valuable and what clients think are valuable. So, models really... I suppose sketches that have been done up a little bit so they're presentation ready, that mm. kind of process work that goes out there that we like to do, but there's always this issue that clients don't necessarily pay for it. Models don't get paid for. Yep. And the cool thing about uh, uh, different levels of payment is that you can add in these bonus things and be like, you are paying for this. Yeah, well, that's what we've but got. The- here's the cool things. You get a model. Have a look at all these models. Do you want one of these? Okay, good. Go platinum. You're a platinum well, that, kind of that, person. Well, that, that's, that's exactly what it is. It's like, you know, they're, they're the things that start getting added in, which is like, you know, you know, we do sketch models or then there's like, you know, a presentation model and they're the things you can opt in or opt out of, you know. And we might do them ourselves anyway, but, you know, unless they've ticked it, we won't give them to them or, you know, as part of our own design exploration. Or, you know, things like um, just renders, you know, like that sort of these, you know, concept or, you know, design or explanatory renders. So, if you're looking at our proposal and you're seeing these things on there, you go, oh, God, you know, well, am I going to pick the basic package or, God, I'd, you know, I'd really like to see a render or, you know, a model. So, we're hoping that everyone will always, you know, opt up, but we'll just see how that goes. 
I think it's going to go well <laughs> because so my my theory I, I was just working on um, an article with one of my clients and he was he does retail stores in New York for brands like Jessica Simpson and you know all these kinds of like Vince Camuto and all these random shoe designers and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. And he was talking about how. Ten years ago, the music industry, they made all their money by selling albums, but now they, they don't. They give their albums away for free and then they sell the concerts. So, yep. what they're really selling is experience. Yep. And he's found the exact same thing has happened in retail. If you set up a shop with a whole bunch of products, nobody's going to come to it. The only reason anyone's going to come to your shop is because it's really, really fun. It's like Coachella is yeah. the example he used. It just needs to be a fun place to be where it's not about actually selling things. Yep. And I think that- what what you're creating potentially when you actually charge your client for an experience is that you're lining up the finance with what they're actually enjoying about working with an architect, which is yeah. the things that we talked about with Meet Brief. It's being in the studio. It's having those conversations. It's getting to look and touch cool things, yep. see little things being made. And the, the actual... And it does, I think it ties back to the whole thing even about what kind of content you put on the internet, that it's that... It's that stuff. It's the experience of being with an architect versus being with a drafty or being with a home builder mm. that is ultimately what you're paying for. Yeah, 100%. And huh. that's 100%. kind of not acknowledged. No, no, <laughs> that's no. Well, that's why I, just, I reckon that, you know, and we've been talking about this is that architecture or, you know, the construction industry is just coming off such a low base. You know, like you just, mm. you know, if you do any, like one of these ideas and you'll be ahead of the pack. You know, it's just. Mm. It's just it's just ripe for a rethink, or even just ripe for you know just kind of just to borrow, you know, borrow borrow things that are working elsewhere. Yeah, just exactly, just borrow stuff that you see some marketing agency or some graphic designer doing, or some tech Silicon Valley person. Yep. Just take what they're doing, and because you may not be able to get twenty percent of everyone who's looking for an architect to come for you, you might just get the crumbs. It actually mm-hmm. turns out that in the scale of the construction or architecture industry. The crumbs are so big yeah. that all, that's all. That's all we need. We just need crumbs. <laughs> and like so, it's it's like a really, really, it's a really good way to approach it. Um, I wonder. Do you reckon the there middle was something? Is that, like there was thought? some stat. Do you, do you remember? Yeah. Well, sorry. This is going to lead on to that. Do you remember Sam finding those stats? That something like that. Yes, I know the stats. Was, yeah. Can you remember what they are? Do you want? Do you want to hear them? Yeah. Go. Do it. Yeah. So, the Australian architectural services industry is worth about $7 billion a year and 93% of businesses in architecture services are made up of people with five staff or less. So, so, me, it's so that basically, blows my mind. That's, so, I don't... Th- yeah, yeah. Which is that, that, so, that's, you know, that there's 93% of the industry has whatever 93, well, of $7 billion available to it. So the we yeah. the perception is that the big firms are taking making all the money and you know getting all the jobs, but it's just that that human problem where we can't perceive large numbers and scale. You know that you can't actually yeah. human humans can't think exponentially. So the fact that you're ninety three percent, you can't think that there's lots of you know five and unders out or you know out there. So yeah, for me that's just why you know the, the industry isn't actually struggling. We're just well, we're not struggling for access. We're just struggling for service. We're not servicing that number or that figure well. And that's why we're getting chipped away. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, I don't think we even have an economic disadvantage. because That's what I mean. We're that. not stru- struggling for access. We're, we're, we're not we're, struggling. We're, not- we're right on it. That's the, mo- the money is in front of us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was looking at that IBIS thing and you take, 
you take the number of employees in architecture services, which is like 36,000 people, and you divide the size of the revenue of the industry on an annual basis by the people, and it comes to something like $190,000 per employee in the industry per year. And that, that pretty much lines up with a lot of other things. A lot of other professional services are around about 200. And I checked against accounting, engineering, a whole range of things. So, like, economically, we're, we're pretty much in the ballpark, but we just have this... What's weird about it is that unlike these other industries, we're incredibly thinly spread. When you go into these other... A lot of these other professional services, it's so concentrated around these you know, A-level top-tier companies that just do revenue that's just unbelievable. But it, what we have is this super, super thin spread of things. And one thing that I notice, especially from trying to actually reach a lot of these architects on Instagram, is that we we worked for a couple, good few months to actually find every architect we could who had an Instagram account. Yep. And we ended up concluding with about 700 firms. Wow. And that's... And that's like in a, in Australia. Yeah. Um, the weird the weird thing that's gone on from that is that if you go on house and put in residential architecture firm within say fifty kilometers of Sydney CBD, there's about sixteen hundred firms, and within yep. fifty kilometers of Melbourne, there's like another sixteen hundred, yep. and there is just such an enormous quantity of architectural businesses. Yep. It's it's mind blowing. Yep. And you you're talking earlier about how we don't really tend to communicate you don't get a good picture of what's going on with these other firms and what's on their mind what they're thinking about what they're talking about hmm. and there's like a total vac- vacuum out of out there they don't write blogs they don't record youtube videos they don't have podcasts they don't use twitter the- they, they sort of use Instagram. How are you actually supposed to know these people are out there? Well, like, I reckon that it's, that's the role of the Institute and I reckon that that's maybe where the Institute has struggled, you know, in that yeah. not being a representative body or that not offering not not offering value or, you know, perceived value to people. You know, the reason people aren't members of the Institute is because they just don't see what paying that, you know, 1100 1200 bucks a year actually gets you. So maybe that's, maybe that's the problem. Um, I know it's something we've been talking about as part of the Perth chapter council so the wa chapter council um and i know it's something that the new ceo is probably is looking to address um but yeah i think that's potentially you know symptomatic or at least representative of maybe why there is that kind of distance or you know lack of collegiality or collaboration or even just visibility or knowledge Mm. I sort of, um, I, I had a thought that I think there are, if you look at like 1,500 residential firms in Melbourne, there's probably about 50 of them who are disproportionately carrying the rest of the industry on their shoulders um, in terms of communication to the public. If you add up just the quantity of, of how many people they're reaching using the internet, using PR and everything else on a weekly basis, I think it's probably makes up 80% of what the entire industry is reaching. And I was thinking that maybe the approach, the difficulty with it coming from the institute level is that you have to bring up all the small boats. And I'm actually more attracted to this idea that you just take like the 50 best people, 
similar to what we tried to do with Meat Brief and go, these are the 50 people that are killing it. So let's actually coordinate amongst them and come up with a strategy just with them. And if anyone else wants to kind of up their game and get involved, then so be it. But right now we're actually just going to rely on these people. And is that something that you've sort of seen happen traditionally? Or do you think that's a new thing where there's this kind of vanguard or like little group that are basically doing all the work? Uh, I think that that's just again. I think it's human nature. Bit of a I think it's a bit of a tough question. That could no, be no, it's not at all. I think it's 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 actually just if in any group you'll find it's the eighty twenty principle that you know eighty percent no twenty percent of the people yeah. are doing eighty percent of the work, and that that's just how it goes. You know, anywhere, if, you know, or in any industry. And you know, I remember someone saying about in the town of Albany that they call it like the Albany five hundred. I think it was. Or it's, yeah, yeah. And I said, what? <laughs> What's the, the Albany five hundred? It's like the same 500 people that do everything, you know, in, in, Albany, in, in, you know, that at any event, at anything, council, community, school, whatever, it's always the same 500 people. Um, yeah. yeah. And I just reckon that's, that's the same as, you know, it's kind of, that's just the way we seem to be wired. Cause there was this, um, there was this vice thing about some social media agency that had basically brought together a bunch of like 25 year old Instagram influencers and puts them in this room with beanbag chairs and ping pong tables and they all sit there until Nike comes and goes, all right, all of you to your like 50 million followers that each of you have, we're all going to post pictures of Nike at 4 p.m. today and say hashtag Nike's the best and then they do it and then they sit back on their beanbag chairs and the whole internet just goes insane because like the 50 most popular people in Britain just all suddenly drop this one thing and... I almost think that we need to bring together this kind of Fitzroy 50 or this like... Yeah, that's good. That's really you know, good. This like, yeah. this like Perth 100 and just go bring them, lock them all in a room yeah. and go, right, here's the, co- here's the message. You guys all have to bloody chip in and coordinate on this one. Yep. And we're going to put ourselves together like the Power Rangers and it's going to happen. Like <laughs> do, a, do a Care Bear stare. That's, <laughs> <you know. laughs> that's awesome. Cool. Form like Voltron. Yeah, exactly. And I I don't know. I, I don't know if that would actually do anything. Because when I no, thought I reckon, about I that, that, I was that, going... That could, that, could be re- that could be really powerful because you think about a lot... Of, I don't know. Maybe you know this better than I do. But um, after a certain level, I would think that the followers of your Instagram account, as in if you've got an Instagram account as an architect that's of a certain yeah. number, um, you know, there's always this kind of surveillance voyeuristic thing of architect to architect you know we all kind of watch each other and like give each other yeah. pats on the backs and you yeah. know hey cool stuff but then everything below that is the kind of the periphery is in you know the architectural architecturally interested you know and they're either potential clients yeah. or past clients or you know just people with a, a, a general sort of passing kind of interest in what's going on so yeah. that, you know and i would have thought that again that that ratio that the people following architectural instagrams are probably you know, I might be 80, 20 again, like 20% are architects, 80% are other people that just kind of, you know, care or are interested. Yeah. So that, you know, if you yeah. did if you did do something like that where it's all kind of, you know, some sort of social cause or industry, you know, industry message that you actually could start changing or shifting perceptions, I reckon that that's something that could be pretty powerful. I reckon that's an awesome idea. I, I mean, we're talking about these 50 or 100, you know, um, brains trust of winning architects that that have these megaphone platforms um, that are bigger than the magazines, they're bigger than the Institute, they're just like a force to be reckoned with. And they reach, it reaches up into the millions. 
like just the kind of traction with with the architecturally interested that you'd have to pay a fortune to get at the real question i think is when you put this giant megaphone together saying imagining that we could what do they say yeah that's the thing that troubles me that's the bit that troubles me and it's why at the beginning I was going, what's the point of architecture? And the reason I've been thinking about that for a couple of weeks in terms of advocacy is going, because I had this idea that we put all these architects together and just blast. And I was going, oh, fuck, I don't actually know what they're going to say. Well, this is a nice little way to round back to the uh, start of the interview. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe we could all sell Nikes. Couldn't they pay us money? Yeah, if only we just had something to sell. I honestly just wish we had something to sell because it's um, it's really tough. I just don't think it's one of those things where we can just really do much as an industry. It's like, how do you just sell the industry? It just doesn't seem to make sense to me. I know that we're just selling the art form, right? That's that's what we're doing at the end of the day. We're going, this is, we're putting our kind of business thing aside. We're thinking if we just push the the ideology, then the business will come from that. So, let's focus on the on the good and positive aspects of of what we do and the aspirational quality of it well to me it's like the i don't know I, I this is this thought is not fully formed so this is going to come out all you know like nice. kind of gross and lumpy and terrible but um i don't know i like i'm i'm completely obsessed with watching or reading and just devouring everything about um trump and republicans democrats and the democrats complete struggle for an identity at the moment when You've got, you know, Democrats, which are the party of, you know, again, sort of the people and the group and, you know, sort of support for all and, you know, rising tide, lift lift everyone up, you know, equality and Republicans who are at their core, just the most evil fucksticks around. But yet they somehow keep winning the message and it's maybe it's, again, it's like it's kind of the the fox and the hedgehog, the parable of the fox and the hedgehog, which is that um, every day the fox comes out and tries to get the hedgehog, as in like eat it or kill it, and every day it, try, <laughs> it, it tries a new thing, like it, you know, it, it approaches from behind, it tries to push it into a river, it you know, tries to trip it up, and it says you know, that the fox knows many things, but the hedgehog knows one big thing, and Mm-hmm. And that they're the two approaches. Like the Republicans, they kind of know one big thing, which is that you know you play to everyone's fear. That we all at you know our base, you know, can sort of will regress to the individual and the sort of our own personal motivations over all else. Or we don't all, but you know, people do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. that maybe architecture is the same thing. Is that we're trying to sell this very, you know, generally beneficial, clever helpful you know joyous wonderful thing but you know we're the fox we're kind of clever and we're dancing around and we know all these things but the other side of the mm. argument which is you know just fucking build it and build yeah. it quick yeah. and cheap you know like that's they know the one big thing yeah um yeah, yeah that's the one big thing they got it they own yeah. that territory yeah <laughs> and they're just they're stoically positive about that yeah, and well, it just because it, it, you, know, you don't need to do anything else no, we're just we're just, we're, we're, we're just like nibbling yeah. yeah exactly we're just coming about okay let's try that does that stick no it doesn't stick mm-hmm. all right what's the next one okay, okay yeah. that, does that stick and it's re- yeah. yeah i it definitely feels that way if it feels very uh, 
it's just like improvisational jazz the way that we sell architecture yeah. <laughs> it's really so, so to, yeah so for, it's for really, me the only the only way to win the argument is to actually like i don't i don't think we we've got a problem convincing people that are you know that well designed spaces yeah. are better like to me that's yeah. Yeah. everyone knows that you don't need to Case keep closed. you don't need to keep saying yeah. use an architect like people go yeah i would so to me, the only way to do it is the thin edge of the wedge, which is to actually go at the economic argument to go, you know, like straight at that and go um, try and chop that over, which is, you know, in terms of whether it's efficiency or, um, or you know, just quickness or, you know, risk adverseness or whatever it is. So I think that, you know, like Jeremy and Breathe are doing really interesting work in this and that they're one of the first architect-led programs that actually kind of really talk about economic models and... Um, and, you know, returns mm. and, you know, actually kind of attack it from that side. But, you know, and that's what I'm talking about with in terms of practice, trying to actually break us, break it up and make us efficient and economic and quick and clever. But mm. to me, it's, yeah, it's like don't avoid that conversation. Work out how we can actually win that conversation and just go straight at it. So, so <clears throat> in that lecture I was watching with that, um, Adam Ferrier guy, he was showing dozens of examples of that, how big companies, like he worked on the Jeep campaign where they went, oh, you <coughs> bought a Jeep? Like that was the catchphrase because the, they're playing on the fact that no one buys Jeeps. Yeah. And there's this there's this idea, there was another one where a car company was going like, I think it was Avis going, we're number two, which just makes us work harder yeah, or something yeah. like that. <coughs> yeah. And maybe that, he was talking about how accentuating the negative can really let you can really help you to overcome a situation like that mm. where you're trying to go at the economic and say things like yeah, yeah. you know cuz we've been dancing around that and there's been a lot of architects trying to go oh, you know good design doesn't have to be more expensive in fact i think i read that in your article and maybe the approach is the opposite where you go yeah we're more expensive there's a very good reason for that <laughs> like yeah. you know just really <laughs> yeah yeah and 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 to just yeah. fully just fully get out there with the swag and just go yeah like deal with it 